Beloved, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, this evening we are in verse 10. And we'll be focusing on that uh, phrase, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Perhaps uh, as you're turning there, perhaps you saw me uh, fooling with my iPad up here. I sometimes forget to turn off the, uh, uh, the Wi-Fi uh, because you never know what's going to pop up, you know, on your iPad when, when, you, when that thing is on. And so uh, it reminded me of when we were in COVID and I was preaching at home and uh, you were watching from your homes, from your living rooms. And uh, at one point uh, I had said, Assyria, and my iPad began to talk to me. Siri began to talk to me. And uh, I heard my son laughing his head off upstairs as they were watching the service in our upstairs room. And so you, you have to be careful with technology uh, when you are preaching uh, but here we come to Matthew chapter 6 uh, and this important section of uh, the Lord's Prayer, uh, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you please uh, stand with me uh, as we read God's Word? I'm going to start in verse 5, Matthew 6 and verse 5, as uh, we want to kind of keep all of this in context uh, as we come to our Lord's Prayer. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. As far the reading of God's Word, would you pray with me? O Lord, as we come once again to your blessed word, we pray that your spirit would attend the word and would illumine our hearts and minds, that we would receive your word, believe your word, and respond by faith to your word in faith and grateful obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We've considered before these earlier verses uh, here when Jesus uh, teaches his disciples to pray, he, he says they must not be like the hypocrites. He must not be like the hypocrites. Uh, hypocrites, of course, are, are, uh, that word is used uh, uh, for those who would wear a mask, masking who they really are uh, to, to, to give off the impression to those around that they are something that they are not. Those are hypocrites. And he says, you must not be like the hypocrites when you pray. What are the hypocrites like? They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Of course, he's referring 
uh, to the, the Pharisees here, to the religious leaders who uh, put on a show with their pomp and circumstance and wanting to be seen by others, they've received their reward right there when people look at them and think that they're great. Uh, they were receiving their reward right there. There's no heavenly reward for this. But when you pray, he says, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. This isn't, of course, saying uh, that the only way to properly pray is in the closet or in secret or in the room where nobody's watching. But he's, he's saying that if you do one without the other, you're a hypocrite. How can you come and pray in public and, and do all of this when in private you're not even going before the Lord in prayer? That's where uh, we recognize the hypocrites and uh, those who are sincere. The sincere one is praying to their father in secret, and the father will reward that. also says, don't heap up empty phrases. Empty phrases, saying the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, this can be a problem, even in our own, our own tradition. A lot of times in college ministries, there will be those who will pray, and it will kind of be a repetitious kind of prayer, and and and. Uh, God's name is used as a kind of filler uh, along the way. And, and this kind of, of, of empty phrases that the, are, are like the Gentiles, the pagans, who think that they will be heard for their many words. We shouldn't be like that. No, he says, our Father knows what we need even before we ask Him. And so we don't need to be repetitious. We don't need to say the same thing over and over again. We need to pray as children to our Father who knows what we need even before we ask Him. You know, as parents, we know what our small children need before they ask us. But we love when they come and ask us most of the time, depending on what it is. But we, we want them to come and to ask and to, to have that sweet relationship of a parent to a child. We want our children to be able to come to us and ask us uh, for things. God wants to, us to come and to ask Him. He wants to have that relationship with us. He wants us to depend upon Him. And then He teaches us to pray. Our Father in heaven. Our Father. We are to think of ourselves when it comes to prayer, first and foremost, as a part of a community of faith, as a part of the church. He's not just my Father, though He is that. He is our Father. And He's in heaven. He's the one true and living God. He's the only God. He's in heaven. He's our Father. As we mentioned this morning from Heidelberg Catechism 26 and 27, He is Almighty God and He is also our loving Father. It also says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And that's what we dealt with last week, and we'll touch upon that again this evening. But prayer, prayer for the Christian is like swimming for the fish or flying for the bird. It's what we Christians do. It's what we do. Prayer is our spiritual instinct and not just when we are in a bind. A lot of people pray when they're in a bind, but Christians pray all of the time. We've been redeemed and restored to communion and fellowship with God. And prayer is a central aspect and component to our 
communion and fellowship with God. Incidentally, it's also a central aspect of our fellowship with other believers, with one another. When we pray together, we grow deeper in our love and relationship with one another. Why is that? Because prayer is central to fellowship with God and with one another. Over the past several months, we started doing something new in our men's Bible study on Thursday mornings. We begin with about 10 or 15 minutes of prayer. And I'll have to say it's my favorite part of the morning. Fifteen or so men from Christ Church gathering at 7 a.m. to pray with and for one another. It's a great blessing, and we grow deeper in our love for one another as we pray together. This is why the Lord's Prayer is, begins with our Father. The Holy Spirit indwells us and thus prompts us to call upon God's name, to glorify God with praise and to rely upon Him with petitions. Prayer is not for God. Prayer is for us. Prayer is a gift from God to us that we would express ourselves in gratitude and love to God and to pour out our souls before Him. Prayer is the way Christians live a life of gratitude in God's presence. How can we live a life of gratitude without prayer? Prayer is vital for a healthy walk with God. John Bunyan, that great 17th century English Puritan, defined prayer as, quote, a sincere, sensible, affectionate, pouring out of the soul to God through Christ and the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised. It's sincere. It's not a show. It's sensible. You can understand it. That would rule out praying in tongues. It's affectionate. It comes from the heart. And it's a pouring out of one's soul to God. It's not going through the motions. It's a pouring out of one's soul to God through the mediation of Jesus Christ, because it can be done in no other way but in the name of Christ and in the strength and assistance of of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised. When our our prayers are at their best, when they are most informed by the Word of God. Sometimes people will say, Pastor John, could you give me some tips on prayer? How can I pray? Go to the Psalms. Pray the Word of God. Of course, there are lots of good books to choose from on that. But we must admit, along with the disciples, that prayer is not easy. We've been learning that in Romans chapter 8. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed with our circumstances and our weakness, we don't even know what to pray. Thankfully, the Spirit intercedes in our hearts according to the will of God. But, but here, Jesus teaches his followers some important lessons on prayer. He provides us with a kind of skeleton outline on which we are to put flesh, doctrinal flesh, as it were. The Lord's Prayer, as we've touched on before, is not exhaustive in its scope. There are other ways to pray besides this. But the Lord's Prayer does lay down some foundational petitions that are central to the life of Christian discipleship. And so last week we looked at the phrase, 
your kingdom come. We considered the nature of God's kingdom and the building of God's kingdom through the means of grace. We, we learned that in praying this second petition, it fosters in us a heart for mission. Thy kingdom come. A heart for the church. Thy kingdom come. And a heart that is seeking the return of Christ. It's joyfully anticipating the return of Christ. It's important, isn't it, that we pray kingdom-minded prayers as a church. Well, this evening we come to the third petition in the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This third petition is very much related to the second, thy kingdom come. How so? Well, kingdoms have kings. Write that down and give me credit. Kingdoms have kings. And for a kingdom to be healthy, to be orderly, the citizens must obey the laws of the king. Bible scholar R.T. France, he writes that, quote, the essence of the coming of God's kingship is that he is duly obeyed and his purpose fulfilled. The already not yet tension is here more explicit as the situations in heaven where God's kingship has been eternally honored and on earth where it has yet to be fully acknowledged are compared. So we have the kingship in heaven, which has eternally had perfect obedience to the Father, those who are angels, those who are saints, departed saints. They obey God perfectly. But here on earth, where God's kingdom has been manifest in the life of the church, we still need to pray this prayer, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. This is the tension we want to seek to understand in this third petition. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, Jesus says things like, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We are called to be blameless. We are called to obey. And a lot of these clear exhortations in Scripture give evangelicals hives. They sort of break out in hives. Like, oh, we don't want to be legalistic. We don't want to be legalistic. And so they sort of shy away from verses where there's something clearly communicated about discipleship being a life of obedience. I mean, does, does obedience sort of grate on you at all? Does it, does it make you feel like, well, where's Pastor John going with this? The O word. Well, obviously, it shouldn't. We had, uh, of course, a series on sanctification here many years ago, but we were reminded that united to Christ, we are justified, and justified before the Father, we enter into a process called sanctification. We are not saved by our obedience, but we obey as those who have been saved with grateful hearts. We do not throw out the law as Christians. We embrace the law. Like the psalmist who said, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. What? You love the law? The law condemns you. Yes, it does condemn me, but I'm in Christ. Christ was condemned for me on the cross. 
and in him I'm forgiven. And so now I embrace the law, not as that which saves me, but as that which guides me in the Christian life. And so we need to remember this as we think about the will of God properly understood in this text. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first thing we need to do, though, is understand God's will. We've been uh, studying um, Kevin DeYoung's book, Just Do Something, on Tuesday evenings with the young people. Uh, and, uh, and it deals with this issue of the will of God. And, and so it's important that we understand how the Bible speaks about and teaches the will of God. When the Bible refers to the will of God, it does so in two different ways, doesn't it? First of all, the Bible speaks of God's decretive will, His decretive will. This is God's sovereign purpose. By the way, uh, I'm not smart enough to make it so that my series in Romans and this series kind of come together on the same day and we're singing about and talking about and praying about the sovereign will of God like all day, singing about it. But it's glorious. Uh, the Lord has, in His providence, uh, brought this together. As this morning I preached from Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. But this decretive will that the Bible speaks of is God's sovereign purpose. Uh, this is often called His secret will. His secret will. It's what Paul refers to in Ephesians 1 verse 11 when he writes that in Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. And so there's a will of God that is mysterious to us that we do not know. This will would include what's going to happen in five minutes or what's going to happen in five days or what's going to happen in five years. We just don't know exactly what's going to happen. Only God does. And all of it is according to His will, His purpose, which is decreed. God's eternal counsels, His eternal and unchangeable decree is His decretive will. This is what is generally called the will of God. Now, this is precisely not the will that Jesus is referring to in Matthew 6, verse 10, when he teaches his disciples to pray, your will be done. He's not asking us to pray that his decretive will would be done. And we know this because of the qualifying clause, on earth as it is in heaven. For it's in heaven that God's revealed will is done perfectly, but not upon the earth. And this leads us to the second way God's will is referred to in Scripture, and that is His revealed will. So we have His decretive will, that is the sovereign purpose of God, His holy counsels, His decrees. And we have His revealed will. His revealed will is His written word. Again, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to you and to your children and to your grandchildren. We see the difference between the decretive will 
and his revealed will. We will never know God's secret will, his decretive will, but his revealed will is set forth in the pages of Scripture. In John chapter, excuse me, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17, it states, for example, that whoever does the will of God abides forever. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Uh, and so we do the will of God as it uh, refers to the revealed will of God, his commands, his words. Uh, now, there is another will that is um, often talked about, uh, say, especially among young people, but among Christians of all ages. And that's, that's a will in terms of people trying to find God's will or be in the center of God's will. And that is uh, nonsense. That is nonsense. It is nonsense to say something like this. I want to be in the center of God's will. What do you mean? You are always in the center of God's decretive will, if that's what you mean. Now, if you mean you want to obey God's word, well, that's entirely different. You should say, I want to obey God's will. But for you to say, I'm searching for God's will in my life, or I want to be in the center of God's will, is a nonsense. Because God's secret will, His decreed will, is not something that you can discover or find out. It's just something that happens. And we pray, and we seek God's face, and we trust Him for what will happen in the future, and when it comes to God's will, the will that's been revealed to us is that will that we are called to believe and to obey. And we trust the Lord for tomorrow. We don't seek him to find out what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm sorry to tell you, he's not going to tell you who you're supposed to marry. He's not going to tell you where you're supposed to go to college. He is not going to tell you what house to buy or where to live. Sometimes evangelicals speak in a very sloppy way. God told me to do this and told me, well, what do you mean by that? Did he speak to you? Well, no, he didn't speak to me. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I had this like feeling in my heart. Oh, have you had feelings in your heart before that led you in the wrong way? Well, yeah. Oh, so what are you even saying? I don't know. I'm just trying to talk like all my evangelical friends and be spiritual. Now, we've all done this. We've all done this. We've all spoken these ways. But here's the thing. There is no will of God to find out or to search out or to discover or to be in the center of. There's God's decretive will, which are, is his sovereign purpose, which he is carrying out according to his will. And then there is his revealed will that we are called to obey, which is set forth in Scripture. And when it comes to decisions, we don't try to find out God's secret will. We trust him. We receive counsel, and we move forward in obedience. That's what we do. That's what we do as Christians. And so we don't want to over-spiritualize decision-making. We want to trust the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our own, what? Understanding and acknowledge Him in all of our ways, and He will make our path straight. Which path? You don't know which path you're going down. You may be taking the path to move to another state one day. You may be taking a path to 
uh, to a different job. You may be taking a path of suffering. You may not be taking a path of suffering. The Lord knows all of that, but we know that He will lead us and direct us, and we can trust Him in the midst of life. And so we have His decretive will, His revealed will. And so Jesus, when He teaches us to pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, He is, he is teaching us to pray that, that submission and obedience to the king and to kingdom ethics would be found on earth even as it is found in heaven. What is it like in heaven? Well, I've never been there, but we know that in heaven there is perfection. There is perfect worship. There is perfect service to the Lord. There is perfect obedience and love for God. The angels adore Him sinlessly. Those who have died in the Lord and are now in heaven, they perfectly obey God's will. They flawlessly follow God's commands and conform to His holy standards and laws. One commentator puts it like this, quote, that in heaven... God's name is already honored, His kingship acknowledged, and His will done. And the prayer that this heavenly state of affairs may also be on earth, the, excuse me, the prayer is that this heavenly state of affairs may also be reflected on earth. To pray such a prayer is, of course, to be committed oneself to honor God's name, accept His kingship, and do his will. When we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray that as individuals and collectively as a church, we are praying, Lord, may I be committed to honor God's name, accept his kingship, and do his will. And may we as a church honor his name accept his kingship, and do his will. And isn't this a part of the essence of Christian discipleship? You see, this is playing in to Christ's call to discipleship and the life of discipleship to pray these kinds of prayers. We're not smart enough or spiritual enough to come up with prayers like this. So Christ teaches us to pray in this way. It's a prayer for ourselves personally, and for the church, and even for the world, that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray this prayer, we are reminded to put God's will and ways before our own. We are reminded to humbly submit to our King and to obey His commands, and not to live according to the ways of this world or by the impressions of our foolish hearts. The most important kingdom for the Christian is the kingdom of God. Amen? We are citizens of heaven first and then citizens of the United States of America. And so we, we are kingdom-minded. Our prayers are kingdom-minded. Uh, in our confessional heritage, of course, uh, we have creeds and confessions and catechisms that 
that actually unpack the Lord's Prayer, that uh, exposit and, and, and expound on the Lord's Prayer. And so uh, when you come to the Westminster Larger Catechism or Shorter Catechism, you will have an explanation and expounding upon the Lord's Prayer. I'd encourage you to go there as you, as, uh, as you read and, um, and as you think about this series. But I wanted to draw attention to Westminster Larger Catechism 192. Uh, If you want to look in your hymnal, you're welcome to. It's at the back of the hymnal, uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism, 192. And the question is asked, what do we pray for in the third petition? What do we pray for in the third petition? Answer, in the third petition, which is, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, acknowledging that by nature we and all men are not only utterly unable and unwilling to know and to do the will of God, but prone to rebel against His word, to repine and murmur against His providence, and wholly inclined to do the will of the flesh and of the devil, we pray that God would, by His Spirit, Take away from ourselves and others all blindness, weaknesses, and perverseness of heart. And by His grace, make us able and willing to know, do, and submit to His will in all things. With the like humility, cheerfulness, faithfulness, diligence, zeal, sincerity, and constancy as the angels do in heaven. Amen to that. O Lord, may I be like the angels in heaven. May I be like them in their humility and and cheerfulness and faithfulness, the angels who cover their eyes with a pair of their wings, shielding themselves from the glory of God with the other wings covering their feet and with the other wings flying in front of God, ready to serve at any moment. May we be ready to serve with humility and and cheerfulness. The angels sing to the glory of God, faithfulness and diligence and zeal and sincerity and constancy. May this be what characterizes me. May this be what characterizes our church and the wider church around the world. Beloved, this is the prayer of a sincere disciple. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to wrap things up by drawing your attention to 1 John chapter 5 and verses 1 through 4. Would you turn there with me? 1 John 5, verses 1 through 4. And and here we have some things being drawn together in terms of the Christian disciples' orientation to the law and to Christian obedience and to love because they are all related. 1 John 5, verses 1 through 4. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. In other words, if, you, if you've been born again, you love the Father. If you love the Father, you're going to love the Father's children. That means you love the church. It means you love those who are sitting 
next to you and those who profess faith in Christ all around the world. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. Oh, and by the way, and His commandments are not burdensome. Ah, I got to obey God. Really? Again? I mean, I, I tried yesterday. Didn't work out too well. What a burden it is to be a Christian. Nonsense. It's the greatest thing in the world to be a Christian. Amen? What could be better than being a Christian? Saved by the grace of God. Called a child of God. Adopted into the family of God. Uh, indwelt by the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and the spirit indwelling our souls and, and, and praying and interceding for us according to the will of God. Those who are guaranteed a, a place in heaven, an inheritance, which God protects for us. The things of this world, they pass away. They, they are moth-eaten and, and rust destroys them. But, but, but in heaven, everything is is. is is protected for us and held for us. And the greatest thing, of course, is that we will see God and dwell with Him. This is love, the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. It's a wonderful blessing to be a Christian and, and to have God's guidance and commands there to say, Oh, Lord, you've saved me by grace. Now, how should I live? Answer, live by the commandments I have given to you. Yes, Lord, I want to obey you, and I know I don't do it perfectly. I know I still have indwelling sin in my heart, and there are the remnants of sin there. I've been set free from sin. I'm no longer under the bondage of sin, but sin still is there. The remnants of sin are there, and, and, and they'll be there till I die. And, and so I know I can't obey you perfectly, Lord, but I do want to obey you. I want to obey you perfectly because I love you. I'm grateful to you. I want to honor you. I want your name to be honored in the world. And so no, Lord, your commandments are not burdensome. They are, as the psalmist says, a delight. The only time God's commandments become burdensome is when we are pitted against them because we are harboring secret sin in our hearts and lives. And then the commandments become burdensome. But if we are living sincerely and openly and not harboring sin and grudges, and that's one of the reasons why at the end here in Matthew 6, verse 14 and following, it says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's one of the biggest Sin problems in the life of the church. There are others. This is one of the biggest ones. Grudges. Unforgiveness. There are other places in the New Testament where it's clearly stated. If you do not forgive others, you yourself are not forgiven. We do not hold grudges because we have been forgiven ourselves of so much more than anything anybody's ever done to us. Amen? But, Pastor, they really hurt me. I understand there's hurt in the world. 
that we are called to forgive others. We're called to not hold grudges. We're called to, be, to let them go, to love. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith in what? Our faith in Christ, in his life and death and resurrection. Our faith in what he has done for us as the son of God. Who became human flesh without ceasing to be God and, and accomplish our redemption. And so, beloved, a couple of words of application as we close. May we, in a general sense, be committed to praying, and I'll be more specific, to praying the Lord's Prayer, as, uh, particularly as we're in this series. Make it a commitment to pray the Lord's Prayer, you know, three or four or five, maybe, maybe daily, three or four or five days a week, maybe daily. Pray the Lord's Prayer. And as you pray the Lord's Prayer, think about all that you're learning in this sermon series and perhaps in your own reading. Secondly, commit to praying. I want to encourage you with this. At least seven minutes a day. Okay? On the, on the face of it, you might think, that sounds kind of wimpy. I mean, if you were like a really good pastor, wouldn't you be challenging us to pray for like an hour a day? Well, if I did that, I would be a fool because I know how little Christians pray. I'm not talking about throwing up prayers here and there while you're on your way to work and while you're doing it. We need to do that too. But I'm talking about formal, focused, closet prayer. I want to challenge you to pray at least seven minutes a day. Keeping in mind all of these things we were learning in this series about prayer and about how Jesus would have us to pray, about putting the flesh on the bones of the Lord's Prayer. I want to encourage you, if you don't already have a method of prayer, to use the Acts method of prayer. The Acts method of prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Adoration, begin your prayer giving praise to God, declaring his attributes, praising him for who he is and what he has done, being specific. Perhaps you open up the Psalms and you, you declare what the psalmist says. Oh Lord, you are God. You are the maker of the heavens and the earth. From generation to generation, you are God. Uh, pray prayers of adoration and then move to confession. Confess your sins to God. Hold none of your sins back. Confess them to God. Be open and vulnerable to God. Confess your sins and then give thanks. Give thanks for Christ's work in your life. Give thanks for the Holy Spirit that's been given to you as a gift. Give thanks for His Word, His law, and His promises. Give thanks for His work in your life and that He's working together all things for good. Give thanks for your family. Give thanks for your home. Give thanks for all the ways that God has provided for you. You could do this all day, right? And then you come to supplication. Pray for yourself and pray for others. Specific requests. 
About two weeks ago, I received an email from uh, Mike Brown, our missionary in Milan, Italy. We prayed for him uh, this morning in our congregational prayer meeting. We prayed for him tonight. He reached out and said uh, in a wonderful, encouraging email, it was about a paragraph long, essentially saying, how can I pray for you? Give me five things. And I took time to write him and asked him to pray for me. And I got an email two days ago saying, uh, John, I've been praying for you every morning for the past 10 days. And here's what I've been praying. There's three or four paragraphs of pure encouragement in the ways he's been praying for me. He is a dear friend. He prays for me. And he wants me to know that. And so this Acts method of prayer is a way, a simple way, to guide our prayers and to keep us praying for at least seven minutes a day. If you need to time it at first, do it. That's okay. It's not unspiritual. Pray. Pray at least seven minutes a day. A lot of times we have a hard time being quiet and being still without all the distractions, but do it. Pray at least seven minutes a day, and then it'll increase over time, and I would love to hear how the Lord's working in your life uh, in that area. I also want to encourage you to come to our congregational prayer meeting if you are able. If you are able, come to the congregational prayer meeting and let us lift our request to God and give Him praise in the sanctuary as we begin the Lord's Day before the throne of grace. And may we as Christ's disciples pray this prayer without qualification, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the work of Christ and his mediatorial work in our lives. Lord, apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we can't even pray. Apart from him, O Lord, we are hopeless. But in him, united to him by grace through faith, we boldly approach your throne of grace. And we make our petitions known, knowing that you will answer us in our time of need. O Lord, we pray that we would pray kingdom-minded prayers that reflected in our prayers is our heart for you and for the nations to come to know you. Oh Lord, would you cultivate this in the garden of our hearts that our prayers would be biblical and testimonies of the kingdom-mindedness of your people. We pray this in Jesus' name.